0: Pass radio hello again everybody it is pit pass motor racing weekly i'm number two of the big program on this particular week we appreciate you joining us uh, damon bradshaw gary dean chad swap Peterson lit up our number one i number two neat as well the texter denny bart scheduled to join us but he assigns one of his racers not just one but the arena cross lights points leader ryan breeze is going to be joining us and we start the program off but before we go to let's before we go to our first guest Tony, can you give me just the headlines? I think we should just talk about Marvin Muskin who who pulled
1: off a win in Salt Lake City and convincing uh, convincing win and uh, you know the drama that we saw the week before when when Marvin came in and ran it into Tomac, we expected some fireworks it didn't happen, but uh, it ain't over yet as they say.
0: I think there's some maturity setting
2: in. Well, and, and the bad I, luck that that happened that befell anderson finally talk about that yeah, okay for anybody who didn't see the so it's a short start so on a long start the opportunity for everybody to come together is, is lessened because there's uh, the opportunity to find some space but in a short start and it's a left-hander you really everybody is going to collect right away really fast and uh for short start you, we got that you know, for those of you that haven't seen it anderson's uh front Front tire gets, or front wheel gets into uh, Eli Tomax foot peg, tears some spokes out, has to go in, get it changed.
1: Did the old wheel swap. Yeah. And uh, goes down two laps, comes all the way back to 17th. So, to s- it'd be fair to say that his crew is a little slower than uh, maybe uh, uh, a Daytona 200 crew. Uh,
0: yeah. Okay. So. Where, where are we at in point standing? Where does Anderson sit in point well, standing? Well, actually, he
1: still, he still has the lead. And, uh, Last I
0: checked, he, it was like 30-some points. Yeah, he's that's not there no more. Nah. Uh-uh. 30. Uh, 30. 338 and
1: 324 is what Muskin is. So. Okay.
0: All right. All right. Let's go to our uh, very first guest, Howard, number uh, two. And thank you so much for waiting. Um, like I said, for those of you who don't know the name Brian Drebber, you haven't been listening. He joins us now does the American Sportcaster. Uh, Brian, how are you?
3: Just right, as I'm fond of saying.
0: Guam, the Marianas Islands. How did that happen, and how did you come to the U.S. and end up working for Speed?
3: Um, Army brat. Uh-huh. My dad and mom, within weeks of getting married, uh, my dad got orders for Guam. And uh, the two of them went across uh, on a on a boat from California. My mom throwing up all the way because she had never left the county in Virginia she <laughs> was born in. And uh, it, it, it's funny that you lead to that story because shortly after my dad arrived, he sent for his motorcycle. He, his dad was a was a guy that worked on the docks in New York. And so they got the bike on a banana boat to the Panama Canal and over to San Diego, and then on a supply ship to. To the island and the day it got there they took a moonlight ride up to the top of the island and i don't know how to put this delicately but on the way back down there were three of us
0: <laughs> <laughs> i see so you were manufactured in guam is what you
3: say uh and 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 and, and on a motorcycle an aerial red hunter oh i love that That's I, a great I was story. after
0: i was after a bullfight
2: in mexico so i mean i really yeah <laughs>
1: That's huh. in my, whatever. Whatever gets your mom going, I guess. Oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know,
0: right. In my other life, I cover wrestling as an Olympic sport. Okay, so I talk to Olympians every day, um, and now they're heading from the World Championships, or in this case, the uh, the 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 U.S. Open in Las Vegas. Now all the good ones are heading to the Pan American Games in uh, Peru. And uh, when you are on tour covering Olympic Games or Pan-American Games or Goodwill Games, as it were, um, Mm -hmm. do you get a chance to do what some of the athletes do, and that's take time to check out the country, in this case, in Peru, Machu Picchu?
3: Um, I've not been to Machu Picchu, but on many occasions when I was doing uh, summer games, anyway, I was covering cycling, and I very often took my own bicycle with me, and either went riding and training with, with some of the teams, or just on my own sightseeing. Uh, Cuba was fascinating for the Pan Am Games, and I made a, a very good friend down there, a Cuban fellow uh, riding riding his bicycle. Uh, the light turned green. I was just in this big crowd of people, and all, everybody rides a bicycle in Cuba. It seems like so they don't have they don't have cars much. And uh, the light turned green, and this guy next to me, in perfect English, says, "Let's go." <laughs> and, and my uh, my friend Alberto and I spent three lovely weeks together. I met his family, and and he took me all over the place to all sorts of things that uh, that only someone who lives there would would have been able to do. And likewise, in uh, in Seoul, when I was over there, I took my bicycles
0: with. Oh wow. uh,
3: Was able to ride on the track as well as uh, around around the city and and exploring on a bicycle which is much different than in a car
0: can you explain what a velodrome is to everybody else i tried to explain it to tony and and uh no i got it you can
1: read a book while you ride a bicycle
3: well (laughs) it's
0: uh in the old days perhaps yeah these guys are a little more competitive these days it's a
3: it's a banked oval it's uh it's bristol speedway uh for bicycles you know it's a banked oval track you only go in one direction uh the bikes are single speed and uh, no brakes
0: and, which sounds, is amazing right
3: well it sounds daunting at first but if you think about it without brakes the ex, you know acceleration is relatively slow and and deceleration is is likewise going to be relatively slow so the change of speed is much more subtle than it would be with brakes and with multiple gears so it's it's really uh, uh safer in that way uh, what are, what, what are the tracks
0: made of now brian are there they are they, are they, uh, they used to be everything. wood in the old days
3: well, and, and the best ones, uh, the best indoor tracks still are wood, and actually there's an outdoor track in Minnesota that's wood. Uh, so wooden tracks are very smooth, but uh, obviously an outdoor track is likely to be um, either concrete or less commonly uh, asphalt. Okay. I've raced on all, all of the above.
0: And from there, I know, Tony, you want to talk about uh, the fact that he broadcasts both AMA Superbike, ARCA, REMAX Series Racing, Uh you know and so many other things for speed but you know his his breadth of knowledge on the sports he covered you know covers uh i think is fantastic
1: well as hard as i fight it there's a lot of crossover from s- cycling and motorcycle racing and, and i'm sure you share that passion with a lot of the racers that you announce in in uh, motorcycle racing they all ride cycles i mean that's part of training and and uh, part of their lifestyle but um uh, the the ama superbike um, wasn't
3: always that way, and I can remember when I started, in the I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, back when I when I started, which was 96, the same year that uh, Matthew Mladen came up for the first season, and uh, he was one that, that really kind of got a lot of the guys the Paddock started riding a bicycle because he did that. And then, of course, he was kicking everybody's butt, so they decided they needed to do what he was doing, which was train on a bicycle. But before that, you had Jimmy Allen from Dunlop, uh, the late, great, wonderful human being Merlin Plumley, and Brian Uchida, who was uh, a parts guy, essentially, for factory Honda racing, and those three guys were the original bicycle riders in the paddock. They would take their 10 speeds and go out riding whenever they could, whenever time permitted, um, and so we, we, used to, we used to laugh a little bit about that with all these, you know, born-again, born-again bicycle guys, right, that thought they invented the sport and Jimmy was toting his bicycle around in the back of the Dunlop truck for decades.
1: So. Well, here's something kind of interesting. Uh, the, the GNCC, which is the Grand National C- Cross Country mm-hmm. uh, Series, that it, it's an yeah. off-roads. Yeah, but, uh, so that we've, we've heard a lot, of, a lot of guys that didn't have e-bikes or electronic assist bicycles. Um, they have uh, been complaining because all the, the guys that do have them, they go out and they pedal they ride they basically ride the whole trail or the whole racetrack on their bicycle and you can tell they they they're miles right. literally miles ahead the first lap because they can blitz everything because they've seen it all and uh, it's quite a disadvantage to the guys that, that don't have that opportunity. Here's something interesting. America's premier, and I'm reading the press release. It just came to me today via email. America's premier off-road racing series adds Fantic e-mountain mountain mountain bike racing to the action. So they're actually going to have a race on Friday. Um, that'll, that'll be at the John Penton is the first one, May 25th. And then in June, September, and October. So they're actually having races and they're embracing this, uh, this e-bike thing that, that uh, everybody's uh, – you know i i have one honestly so i'm but what are your thoughts on the pedal assist bicycles
3: well it's a it's a different category obviously it's kind of like uh i don't know it's kind of like uh well anyway it's just a different category obviously there's been some cases of mechanical doping in some of the road races where they had electric motors hidden in the hidden in the bicycle um so it's a form of of engineering the rules disadvantage for your opponents. I don't like to say cheating. Um, but then the e-bike itself and competitions among them is just a different way of racing. And you know, the technology, we can't put these genies back in the bottle. There's always going to be somebody to come up with a technological advantage. And in this case, it's using uh, used in their e-bike because it would tire them out pretty seriously to have to pedal all the way through those woods. So they're using these electric mountain bikes to do what to do the work for them. Um, Good for them and good for the GNCC. For how do they say it? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah, exactly. So em- embrace, embrace it. If you can't beat them, join them. Well, we're hearing a Bring lot of into the fold.
1: a lot of uh, people, true bicyclists, true mountain bike racers um, or riders are uh, really they they really turn their nose up to these e-bikes. And I saw it firsthand, and I'm like, look at me, I'm not a professional athlete. What, what do, I'm, I would never ride a bicycle if I didn't have this four thousand dollar piece of hunk junk from ktm you know <laughs> so uh, um and by the way i don't write it that much either but uh y- you know i mean i think it opens it brings to them a, a whole another demographic but they're really turning their nose up and i've i've even heard that they're they're outlawing them on a lot of their bicycle trails and i just can't imagine them doing a whole lot of damage
3: well or, it oh, isn't damage it's closing speeds and uh, and and you know the trails well the roads are dangerous enough when you're trying to train on the roads or ride on the roads because you're competing with automobiles and then on the trails you know you have to attempt to share the trails with
1: and we lost him jack and jack's not in his office all right get his attention all right well we were having a conversation with um (laughs) brian drebber or dribbles we like to call him dribbles dribbles um I uh, I personally think it's he was talking about closing speeds, and I assume that means braking power. Yeah, but uh, I think it's completely ridiculous.
2: Well, I, I mean, I can understand his point of view. If you're a, a a regular guy that's just cruising around on your on your bike, and you don't have that opportunity to slow down as fast because or get out of the way of one of these guys on an e bike, it definitely, you know could cause an accident with uh, somebody that's maybe not as experienced with somebody coming up behind them at a higher rate of speed. So I can understand that, but I agree. I I think if you exclude these guys from your um, trail system, you're, you're just hurting yourself because now you're excluding somebody um, who has spent the money, who wants to partake.
1: Yeah. Ryan, are you back on with us?
3: i hope so yeah
1: we lost you there dropped the call or something
3: uh, you know it's life in the country it's uh it's you know farm wi-fi it's uh it's a great i a half a step ahead of dial-up so <laughs>
1: <laughs> at least you have wi-fi where you live
3: <laughs> uh yes it or something resembling it anyway yeah we uh, I have a choice i can either use my laptop or talk on the phone the phone has to work through wi-fi also
1: yeah so. you were saying about uh closing speeds on a mountain bike
3: we're, we're well, and then I just heard the tail end uh, of the of the last uh, uh, con- part of the conversation there, and I, whoever was speaking, I'm sorry, uh, reiterated what I said, which is, you know, you've got you've got people of differing abilities, you've got people of uh, different uh, skill levels, and different intentions. You know, some people are out there just cruising around, and others are out there looking to go as fast as they can for the thrill. Yeah, that's and true. E bike it just amplifies the difference between bicycles, you know, joggers and 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 casual hikers and and families with kids that are five across the trail. You know, I mean it's it, mixed-use trails are always problematic. We have one here that's combination hiking and horseback trails. So naturally the folks on horseback have to be respectful because they're capable of trampling someone <laughs> who isn't on a horse and the opposite isn't true, you know, the, the pedestrians have to yield the right away when a horse comes cantering along the trail so uh that's just self-preservation but a lot of times i mean i this is goes back it's nothing new it goes back a long ways when downhill mountain biking first got started uh, you know out in mount tam in california and the people that were hiking and stuff were terrified of these guys blazing down the down repack you know with coaster brake bikes doing 60 miles an hour so this is nothing new it's just people have to be responsible and respectful of of each other if it is in fact a mixed-use trail and and if they designate it not mixed use, meaning somebody's going to be excluded, well, okay, I, I, I don't, I don't know where I stand on that. I guess whoever's uh, empowered to do so can, if they wish.
1: What are your thoughts on uh, speaking of motorcycles? Uh, <laughs> what uh, your thoughts on the the current uh, series here in the United States? Is it is it doing well
3: by your I estimation? Didn't. Absolutely doing well. I'm fortunate enough to have been a fan uh, of the sport when it, in the, you, know, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And then I began uh, working at, at races in 96, as I mentioned, um, for the old Prime Network with uh, Larry Myers and David Sadowski in the booth, and I was the pit guy to start with. And then I you know I've been uh, through all of the various eras what I would call the real heyday of the sport you know from say the mid 90s to the mid 2000s the era of of Maladdin and Spees and Miguel and and Jamie Hacking and 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 you know when there were 12 15 guys with big Prevost buses in the paddock and and, and six figure salaries and all that kind of stuff and then the sport sort of went downhill a little bit because of the economy and and other factors and now it, in the very first year of moto america i was struck by the by the impression that the and i've used the phrase the fun is back people that know me you know i have this fun meter i wear quite often and and, uh and to me it's about the fun i mean it's entertainment this isn't war and peace here you know really although we try to characterize it that way they're battling for the lead and all that sort of hype but the fun is back and wayne and and chuck and and Richard and uh, Terry Cargus, you know, the partners are doing a tremendous job, in my opinion, of making it better every year. And it was, it was tremendously fun the first year, and this year already it started off that way as well. I think they, the new rules, the new class structure is a, a big step in the right direction, a direction that they had planned some time ago, and they were very pu- publicly stated that. So, I, yes, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely wonderful. The mm-hmm. racing itself... Uh, and the entertainment package that's available to a fan that comes on a Moto America weekend is really quite incredible.
1: They got old skateboarders going around the track and on a two. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that.
3: His whole operation, they didn't get a chance to to perform on Sunday because of the weather. Yeah, but uh, it was a. They brought uh, Tony Hawk brought in a lot of people that might not have come otherwise. What does that cost if he doesn't
1: actually skate? I mean, that seems like it'd be pretty expensive to get Tony Hawk to well, show up.
3: Oh, he skated on Saturday, big time. He oh, okay, was pals, you know that. Yeah, they. It's just Sunday. It was raining and and uh, and, and raining quite hard. So sure. he was still there, and he was you know he was present and and he helped hand out the trophies and things like that. He was all around. He was signing autographs. Uh, so you know, it wasn't as though he just disappeared. They they began to. Uh, they had the the, the pipe covered up with tarps and stuff in case they got a break in the weather, and. <laughs> Interestingly enough, just about the time the last race, you know, the checkered flag flew for the last race of the day, the sun came out, so at least the guys got to pack up in the dry. and They didn't have to to pack up wet canopies and stuff. I'm always grateful when the guys that work at the race uh, have have a relatively easy time of it.
2: Brian, going back to this, the Moto America and and this now new, basically I want to say a new series because it's, it's changed, do you think if they hadn't have done this, that maybe we would have seen a, 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 more of a decline within the racing and, and how that it was going in that direction.
3: Well, I you know, that's, that's almost like a Pandora's box that I don't even want to, right. open. you know, that would, would have been my worst nightmare. Right. Um, road racing while I've covered every form of motorcycle racing, most of the forms of car racing and airplanes and boats and just about everything else that people have raced lawnmowers. Um, Road racing is my family, and, and I'm proud to say that, you know, I've had have and had friends in my family, and we spend time together. And if road racing had continued to decline the way it seemed like it was, that would have just been tragic. And honestly, guys, I had gotten used to the idea of staying home. I, I was very deeply involved in the series up into 2006. Um, as an announcer, I continued uh, – Working on various teams uh, all the way through 2008, and then I, the no one seemed to want no one seemed to want what I had to offer as an announcer or, any, or anything else in particular. So I got used to staying home. And then when I read that Wayne Rainey and his partners were uh, stepping in to try to make something happen, I offered once again to be involved, and they accepted my offer. And I'm tickled pink to be. Um, involved in moto america and god i don't even want to think about what would have happened had they not come in and and, uh, and brought it back
1: i don't you know i think that the the a couple things i think the series fell victim of of uh the economy like the rest of the motorcycling industry and that was, a one. Yeah. That was obviously obviously i think that they had been successful in spite of themselves in in a lot of cases with some of the some of the uh and i don't we don't need to get into that a whole bunch but there was a lot of things being done wrong in my opinion and uh mine doesn't count for much by the way but uh i I think that um once we did see the the, uh the 2008 i certainly took a hit i mean everybody did that's in motorcycles this show took a big hit in in those years Mm -hmm. and um, you know and i don't think we'll ever see what i don't think the motorcycle industry will ever be where it was without the help of side-by-sides and that and other things that have brought it in brought 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 back uh the money the the problem with the side-by-sides here i go get on a side on a on a tangent but the problem with the side-by-sides is that there's not motorcycles they're not they're Mm -hmm. not breeding motorcycle racers motorcycle fans so when a guy goes out and buys a $20,000 plus side by side to take his family out in the desert or, or around his farm or whatever that's nice and that's that's cool and well but it that doesn't
3: he bought a car
1: he bought yeah. a he bought a, a, a
2: dune buggy yeah, for oversized yeah, atv yeah
1: and that's and not yeah. gonna it's not going to bring in and and i'm telling you i see it all over the united states i travel a lot by van with a motorcycle in the back and i see a lot of shut down stock cars and i stock car tracks and i always go by and go oh that'd make a cool place to have a, a you know a motocross track or whatever it's all the, it's all there but the, tr- the reality of it is is the motocross industry is is going away too and when that goes away the road racing is going to go away it's it's all
3: intertwined it is it's
1: it's all related and um
3: well and the competition for the entertainment i don't even want to call it the entertainment dollar the competition for the entertainment moment um, is so intense with the internet i mean people are much more able to and seem to be content with Sitting at home with their neck stooped over, staring at their phone, and having the world come to them—you know, people don't go to the world anymore. They let the world come to them,
2: and that's and a I tragedy. Sound a
3: little curmudgeonly and all that, because uh, because you know the technology and the ability to communicate and uh, is second to none. It's it's better than it's ever been, but at the same time, the competition for that tiny little attention span that people seem to possess nowadays, you know, no one reads a book anymore. And, and right. Who, who has, who, who wants to spend the time to read a whole book when you can just get, you know, the the, the headlines and the cliff notes clip on YouTube, you know, yeah. you can go, find you can find somebody that'll explain it to you in two minutes and 30 seconds in a video online. But, you know, and I'm cynical a little bit, but I laugh at the same time because,
2: we've if done you it to do ourselves go out into the
3: world if you do go to the world and not make the world come to you there's a lot to see and be seen and i think we're going to experience a backlash of that i think people are going to get a little bit jaded over a two-dimensional image on their phone versus the three-dimensional a- world absolutely it's wonderful
1: and I, you know i travel sometimes i take friends and uh, you can really see the difference in the age of the guys that the guys that are you know I'm, i just turned 40 so i'm I'm an old guy now, right? But uh, And I'm selling my phone way too much. But, um,
3: you know, I, you, you go down the road... grew up and, with it. You know, you grew up with that much more than I did. Well,
1: I didn't grow up I, with that. I, w- I didn't have a cell phone when I was a kid. I mean, I
3: could well, barely no, afford... No, but I mean, from, as an adult, you—that's that sort of technology has been around for the most part. So you're kind of in a middle ground. My, my granddaughter, for instance, oh, is of yeah. the age where... She doesn't know anything about the world before the internet.
1: Right, right. Yeah. You
3: know, she was too young. She's 19. She was too young to remember before the internet, you know, or I mean, I don't want to sound like a dinosaur, but we had three TV channels. That was it. We had, <laughs> when I was a kid,
1: we had channel 17, which had inappropriate stuff on, you know, they like, they would say, gosh and
3: heck. That was a big deal. <laughs> so the first time I saw HBO, I was absolutely mortified. I went to somebody's house, and they had cable TV, which which I, I didn't know anything about. I had never seen that. And so I'm watching, they were watching a movie, and somebody said, never mind what you just said. Somebody said, you know, damn. And I thought, whoa, what? What? How come they didn't censor that? You yeah,
1: know, you I can't say it on television,
3: jaw because I grew up with the Smothers brothers and stuff, you know, when they were fighting censorship and everything and so the first time I saw a movie on h b o and they used a fourlet what I would have considered to be a you know I would have got my mouth <laughs> washed out with soap if I said that, and
2: you now know? they can almost say legitimate cuss words on
3: oh, no
1: well, they do, yeah, they do on regular channels they yeah. they say stuff and and it's
3: of course and and the and yeah desensitized to it even and uh uh you know, it's 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 part of the culture now. It's it's in it's on it's in music, it's it's uh you know, urban poetry is is, is no no holds barred with the uh with, with there's no language restrictions on on things nowadays or, or what we used to consider offensive and, and, and in my opinion is that being offended is a choice. So sure. if you're offended by something yeah. you choose that. Yeah.
1: Brian Dreber, it's been a pleasure having you on. We talked a whole lot about it. A lot of stuff that wasn't motorcycles, <laughs> but that's okay. It was interesting anyway, so we,
2: hopefully we, uh, should, we should have you back on sometime so we can actually any, talk about that stuff.
3: Anytime, guys, when you're a little light on content, I can go <laughs> time like nobody's <my> business. <laughs> <laughs> anytime you guys want to ring me up, I'll, 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 uh, I'll be happy to jump in. I think we It'd got off great. track
1: when we started talking about the Velodrome, but it was relevant. Yeah, at, but that's so. okay.
3: Well, it's hard to put our finger on just exactly where we went off the rails there, but it was fun
1: anyway. <laughs> we appreciate it. Have a good one, okay?
3: You too. Thanks, guys. All right, we're going to
1: take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Ryan Brees, who's a very fast uh, lights rider for the Babbitts Kawasaki team. This is Pit Pass.
4: Hey there. My name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1